Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. It's election day here in Michigan, the day that all of us go and express our partisan feelings and interests at the ballot box. But do we have to live our entire lives in those partisan holes? Do we have to do everything in a way that expresses how different we are from other people? We're going to talk today with a former high school government teacher who is suggesting a different path. It's all next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. Good day, and welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDE. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. It is Election Day, one of my favorite days of the year, that time when we get to make the most explicit demonstration of our democratic and civic participation when we go in and choose the candidates and the issues that we want to support. Of course, I love going to the polls on Election Day. And one of the reasons I love doing that is because it reminds me that this is a communal exercise. This is not just about our individual choices that we're making. It's about the choices that we're making as a community, both in small terms and in large ones. And there is nothing like the feeling of seeing people in line at your polling place, seeing people you know, your neighbors at your polling place, and feeling part of a community when you cast your vote. No no problem with anybody, of course, who uh, chooses to vote absentee or votes absentee because they can't get to the polls. That's one of the great parts of our democracy as well. It's part of the inclusive parts of our democracy, and we do that better here in Michigan than we used to. Uh, but that trip to the polls that we make sometimes twice a year um, is really, really special. So uh, take advantage of it wherever you live, whatever is on the ballot where you live. Make sure you take a little time to get to the polls and participate in both the individual right that you're expressing, but also the communal connection that binds us all together. These days, a lot of the things that go viral are the really worst things you could imagine. They're the things that outrage us, and most of it is at least related to our politics. They're videos and comments that make us mad at what other people are doing or saying, and sometimes they are just flat-out lies, misinformation that spreads from one social media platform to another landing right in our feeds and, of course, creating a kind of circular dynamic where we respond or react to it and then it comes back to us. It's like a boomerang. This is so much of our daily reality right now. On Twitter and Facebook, we are often just yelling at each other. We're not even trying to convince other people. We're just demonstrating to people on our side that we agree with them and locking other people who don't agree out. Think of how often we hear people say, hey, I'm blocking that person or I'm unfriending that person. And they do it because they want everyone else to know that they did it. It's, it's a badge of honor to say, I'm not listening to this person anymore. I'm not interacting with this person anymore. That may feel good in the moment, but I think we got to stop and ask ourselves, what is that really doing? What is that getting us? And how does it benefit what I was just talking about, this communal sense of civic participation, of democratic participation, the idea that we are parts of a community, communities of interest, communities of culture, 
communities of all kinds of things. And this rancor on social media just tears at all of it. Sharon McMahon is somebody who is trying to do things really differently. She's a former high school government teacher turned Instagram star, and she digs into political and government-related questions on online workshops and on a podcast called Sharon Says So. She is extremely popular, but not for the reasons that I was just talking about. Sharon has amassed over 970,000 followers on Instagram because of the warm, open community she has created. On her online channels, people of different political beliefs come together to investigate certain topics, but also to better connect with Sharon. Her following is remarkable, and it leaves me with a couple of questions. How much of our persuadability is determined by those around us? What would a friendlier and more connected environment do to our really broken politics? In the news, of course, this is hard in the business that I'm in. We have to cover difficult and tragic things. But not everyone in America is a reporter. They can harvest and share more cheery content that's open by its nature. Sharon is proving that you can do that. But she's an outlier. And I wonder what kind of incentives we need to create more communities like the one that she has gotten off the ground. On this primary day, when I'm thinking about voting and our shared political participation, we have Sharon McMahon here with us to discuss her work and how she has created this open, empathetic political culture. Sharon McMahon, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. It's great to have you here. So what got you on this journey of trying to depolarize a significant chunk of the country and to unleash good information out into the Internet? And why do you think your work took so well, especially on Instagram, 970,000 followers? There's something counterintuitive about what you're doing being so popular at a time when some of the most popular content is the exact opposite of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You're, you're so right that um, being polarizing pace, you know, like you have those uh, adages in the media where you're like, well, certain topics sell. If it bleeds, it leads. Or you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. that there are certain types of topics that pay. And there are a lot of people who are pundits, media personalities who make a lot of money um, being polarizing. That's a huge incentive for them. But I, I got started mostly because I have a background in education. And when you're teaching in a high school classroom, your goal is to try to explain things in an accessible way that doesn't create that polarization. Can you imagine if a high school classroom was cable news? That would be, that's, that, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I started in at the very tail end of September of 2020. Um, I had noticed a lot of misinformation about very basic government functions on social media. Um, I'm not talking about who you should vote for or which political party is preferable. I'm talking about, like, here is actually how the Electoral College works. And I, I watched viral videos that had huge misconceptions in them. Um, and I really reached this decision point where I could just continue doing what I was doing, which is nothing, because I don't really believe in arguing with strangers online. That's never done anything worthwhile in the history of humankind. Um, or I could try to do something about it. And so what I decided to do was just make some very simple, nonpartisan, flat, fact-based explainer videos and started posting them on Instagram. And I purposely made a point of when I was explaining these concepts, I made a point of not using either presidential candidates' names. Uh, You know how people, when they hear Trump or they hear Biden, like they automatically have a visceral reaction to those names, usually in one direction or Mm -hmm. the other. And I knew that if I was going to use real candidate names, there was going to be a lot of, you know, subtext to explaining the Electoral College, because ultimately I was going to have to declare one of those candidates a winner in my, in my explanation video. 
So I started just using little props, little silly names, just so people could could kind of sense that I had more um, benign educational intentions. I wasn't trying to convince them who to vote for. Hmm. And and uh, let's go back to this uh, this kind of pre period here when you were a. Uh, a government teacher in in high school. I, I think that's such a, a critical role right now, partially because, as you point out, there are lots of people walking around without uh, basic understandings of the way our government works or our history, but also because the premium that used to be placed on people learning that in school uh, is pretty greatly diminished. So I, I want to have you talk just a little bit about what it was like to be a government teacher in a high school in this in this era and and what made you decide to move on from it? Mm. Well, I had the good fortune of teaching in an amazing uh, school that really, in a, in a community that highly valued education. That's where I spent a lot of my years as a teacher. But I did spend most of the time there um, teaching students who were at significant risk. They were either either had chronic truancy or delinquency issues. So these are students who are typically pretty challenging to reach. They don't attend school regularly. Um, it tends, they tend to find graduation requirement subjects pretty boring. Um, and so I always had to find a way to make it interesting. I always had to find a way to try to uh, reach a group who often was very disinterested in what I had to teach them. So, you know, that is it's such a challenging subject to teach right now. And I have a lot of teachers in my community and I hear this from a lot of other teachers and that they, they fear that every word that they say uh, will be misinterpreted by somebody, that it will um, lead to some kind of potential consequences that if they say, well, so-and-so won the popular vote, but not the, but not the, you know, electoral college, that that is going to erupt into an argument and so most of those ideas are uh, being learned outside of a 45-minute classroom session. Uh, but they are spilling over into the classroom. And that is, it's just an extraordinarily challenging political environment in which to operate right now for many teachers. Yeah. Ultimately, I, I left the classroom not because I didn't like teaching. I did. I loved it. I was very sad to leave the classroom. But I wanted to move back to my hometown in Minnesota, and they had recently laid off hundreds of teachers. And um, I knew that I was not going to find uh, a teaching job. I had too much education and experience. I cost too much money on the pay scale. Uh, They could hire a recent grad for a lot less than me. So ultimately, I left the classroom, but but now I'm teaching in a different, just in a different setting, hmm. different hmm. age group. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're talking with Sharon McMahon, a former high school government teacher who runs the Sharon Says So Instagram account that attempts to educate Americans on misinformation and spread nonpartisan information online. It is a real community of people who are maybe taking a step away from the really vituperative kinds of interactions and speech that we find so often on social media. How often uh, do we turn on the television or go to Facebook or Twitter or uh, some other platform and see people basically screaming at each other uh, about their political differences. Of course, uh, political opposition and and spirited political opposition has its place in our democracy. Uh, But we have lost in so many ways, I think, uh, the ability to actually have a conversation about uh, the things that bind us together, uh, the, the the things that, that hold the republic together without shouting at each other. Sharon McMahon is creating that opportunity uh, all the time. We want to hear from you during this conversation. Uh, why do you think misinformation spreads so fast? Why do you think uh, partisan, extreme partisan dialogue is so important and popular on social media. Um, Talk about whether you've been a victim of either misinformation or 
extreme partisanship that uh, that seemed harmful. Um, talk about whether you would like to be part of a community where we could talk more seriously, uh, more calmly about the things that uh, that all of us need to know and understand to make the decisions like the ones that we are making today here in Michigan, Election Day, primary Election Day. As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we can work you into the conversation um, that way. Um, I, I want to push back just a little on on the premise here, Sharon, and and talk about whether whether this is Pollyannish, right? Whether uh-huh. this idea that that people can or will, uh, you know, disabuse themselves of the habits that we are all, I think, forming pretty frequently on social media, whether people. Um, don't want uh, misinformation as long as it kind of reinforces the ideas that they that they already have. Uh, I think a lot of people look at this and say, uh, "That's there's no point in in all of that." We're in a we're in a time and an era when uh, all of those negative influences, you know, have real real truck with people. Um, uh, what 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 do you say? What do you say in response to that? Mm. It's it's a very valid point. I am very much a realist. I, I don't have I don't see the world through rose colored glasses. As a student of history, as a student of government, I'm very well aware of what the world and this country have been through, and much of it has been things that I hope we never reproduce. We have engaged in many many things that uh, we need to talk about, and we have very real issues that we need to talk about. But in order to solve any of these problems, we also have to be able to take a step back and say, is what we're doing now working? Is what we're doing now having the desired outcome? And there's that phrase that the, you know, the definition of insanity is repeating the same thing over and over and hoping for different results. Most Americans are actually very fed up with the way Congress behaves. There's there's not one poll recently that shows that Americans are satisfied with the job Congress is doing. Most Americans have a very low opinion of Congress. And what that says to me is that the extraordinary partisanship and the sound bites and the viral videos uh, where they are just getting up and giving um, press conferences on the steps of this and stepping up to the microphone in the House chambers over here, where they are looking for a viral moment mm-hmm. that they can fundraise off of that viral moment. They can include it in a fundraising email and say, help me fight back against whatever it is. Click here. Um, people fundraise millions of dollars off of those kinds of viral moments. And the the numbers do not lie. Americans are fed up. They're fed up with it. They're fed up with the inaction. They're fed up with nothing meaningful occurring. So I, I don't view this from the lens of like, you guys, we can all get along. We can all have sleepovers and braid each other's hair. Not at all. But I do know that what we're doing now doesn't work and something has to change in order to make meaningful progress, meaningful change in the United States. Mm. And that is going to require hard conversations. We can't have hard conversations when all we're doing is making fun of each other's appearance, when all we're doing is making fun of somebody's accent or calling somebody names. We can't have meaningful conversations based on that premise. So the premise has to be, let's talk about the real issues. And in order to do that, there has to be some kind of groundwork, some kind of rules about how we can have these meaningful conversations that isn't so reductive, that isn't so demeaning, that doesn't involve just devolving into partisan screaming. What we're doing now isn't working, and Americans agree with that. Hmm. Uh, Catherine on Twitter says, she says, I I think it's really important to think about why these conversations are, quote, vituperative. There she's quoting me. I I described them that way. Uh, She says there's an extreme injustice when one group consistently clings to lies and tries to break the system 
to get their way. I'm exhausted with this both sides uh, approach. Uh, No question, uh, Sharon, we spent a lot of time on this show talking about the ways in which uh, conservative activists and, and in, uh, you know, in, in many ways, Republican office holders and, and uh, the, the, the party have gone to an extreme, um, uh, extreme lengths to, to, to break the dialogue uh, in this country. Um, January 6th of 2021, uh, maybe the, 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 the worst example of of that, you had thousands of people show up at uh, the U.S. Capitol to disrupt uh, the 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 peaceful transfer of power that uh, is up is at the heart of of our democracy. So so is it is it that um, is it that one side has devolved into this kind of uh, zero sum winner take all? Uh, break the system or win kind of uh, uh, approach and that that you have to acknowledge that to even get to the place where you can talk calmly and civilly about uh, about any of these things I mean how how can you how can you ask people to come to the table uh, like this when you've got one side that is not just manufacturing, Lies and clinging to them, but but spreading them um, in in incredible incredible ways that that we haven't seen before. Mm. You cannot have conversations in which one side um, believes gravity isn't real, and the other side is wants to have a conversation about gravity. We all have to have our uh, uh, we have to be rooted in facts. And that is one of the roles that I think I have on social media is helping inoculate people against misinformation. And the best way I have found to inoculate people against misinformation is to give them real information. Um, I have not found it particularly useful to spend all of my time um, debunking people, other people's content. I could, that is, that's a game of whack-a-mole, right? That is, that will never end. I can never, ever put out all of the fires that will, that have occurred on social media. But what I can do is give you real information. What I can do is equip you with facts. And what we need are more people equipped with facts, even if they don't like the facts. One of the things that I often say is that facts don't require your approval. They, the, The bottom line is that the arbiter of facts is not, do I agree with it? Sometimes facts are very inconvenient. And the the basis for a lie is not, well, I disagree, so it's a lie. We have to move past that standard, which I think is very often the standard on social media of, do I like it? Then it's true. Do I dislike it? Then it's a lie. That's not, that's not reality. We all have to accept that sometimes facts are inconvenient, sometimes we don't like the facts, and from that place is where we can move forward. Um, January 6th is a fantastic example of what the real-world consequences of an uninformed citizenry are. Mm. Very real, real world consequences. And certainly I'm not talking about all of your listeners. I'm not talking about all Americans, not by a long shot. But when you have um, mis and disinformation that becomes so prevalent and sounds so plausible and aligns with somebody's already held beliefs so well, it takes root. It's almost like, you know, bamboo. You cannot, cannot get rid of it. So the best inoculation against that is knowing what's real, knowing the facts. You're not going to believe the Earth is flat if you're an astronaut. If I can, if I can help you know what's real, then we can move forward with a shared understanding of like, okay, I hate X, Y, Z policies, but I do understand that this that here are the facts surrounding the 2020 election. Yeah. We have to start with a shared understanding of the facts yeah. um, uh, and not spend time arguing about fairy tales. Yeah. 
Okay, we need to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with Sharon McMahon. I want to hear from you. Uh, do you agree that we can have uh, better conversations by agreeing to what is fact and what's not? Do you agree that uh, we would be better off if we didn't have so much partisan opposition, if we were not so deeply engaged in what seems like a war of words over our divides? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter, hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. WDET is your connection to what's happening in Detroit. WDET is your place for open dialogue about the issues that impact you. Stay in the know. This is WDET FM, Detroit's NPR station. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. It is Election Day here in Michigan, and another reminder that you ought to get to the polls today. If you haven't already voted, you can vote absentee here in Michigan for any reason, and lots of people, of course, are taking advantage of that opportunity. But if you haven't voted absentee, this is the day to go make your voice heard in our democratic process. I am going to go vote after the show today and uh, run into, hopefully, uh, some of you, some of my neighbors and uh, people I look forward to seeing at the polls each time we go. Uh, I think of this, again, as a communal act as much as an individual one. I'm uh, somebody who is, of course, very interested in protecting voting rights and promoting voting rights and making sure that we don't roll the clock backward uh, on voting rights. Uh, And that has to do with us as individuals. But the exercise of choosing who represents us, the exercise of going to the polls with our neighbors to make that choice, I think is uh, an important part of community, uh, especially here in the city of Detroit. And so uh, don't miss out on that. Don't uh, take it for granted. Make sure that you get there and uh, and cast your vote today. Our guest right now is Sharon McMahon. She's a former high school government teacher who runs the Sharon Says So Instagram account that attempts to educate Americans on misinformation and spread nonpartisan information online. It is also a community of people who are taking a step away from uh, the other parts of social media where we do see a lot of shouting and yelling at each other, uh, a lot of uh, dismissal of people on the other side of the political divide uh, who don't see eye to eye with us. Uh, What do you think of that approach? Uh, Give us a call or go to Twitter and put uh, your comments there. Let us know if you think this is something more of us ought to be trying to do, or uh, judging from some of our social media comments, or whether you think there's a proper place for the kind of uh, kind of combative uh, interchanges over over politics and policy and culture that we see. Uh, on on social media. Do you think there's a difference between, for instance, arguing over policy positions and arguing over rights, uh, individual rights, which in in so many places uh, are absolutely uh, at stake in the arguments that we're having? Uh, 313-577-1019 is the, is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, or you go to Twitter, hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. I want to read a couple of the social media comments that uh, that we're getting here. We're getting quite a quite a few. Ed says, sometimes I have to take a break from pounding my head against the wall, but I return. Now I'm trying to get people to understand the oil companies were o- overcharging at the pump. It is not all the president's fault. Uh, Big Neo says, I have a coworker who is a true MAGA fan and believes every conspiracy theory that comes his way. Via Facebook, I mentioned that he needs to be open to other opinions and avoid echo chambers, or he might find himself at the next January 6th. He unfriended me 
after that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that happens a lot on social media, mm-hmm. of course. Uh, let's go to the phones and start today with Adrian in Detroit. Adrian, welcome to Good the show. Morning. Good morning. Hey, Adrian. And there's a phrase that you used once before, Stephen. You said that, show me where I am wrong. And that's very important. When you're disagreeing with someone, you tell the other person, show me where I'm wrong. But it's kind, it's kind of hard to argue with someone who really doesn't see the facts. Uh, and I heard your guest say that how do you tell someone the world is round, not unless you are an astronaut. Well, I remember over 50 years ago, they believed that, that we never went to space, that that was a, all a setup on a stage somewhere. So I guess my Yep, Adrian, I think personal, we lost you there. Yep, go ahead. Okay, how do I remove my personal um, opinion away from a, a conversation and not cut the hearing off when I'm discussing with someone something very important? And I'm, I'm driving, so I keep going in and out. <laughs> but I just need to know, how do I remove myself, my personal opinion, so that I can educate someone about something that is, I believe is of vital importance to them? Yeah. Uh, Adrian, I, I, I love the question and, and thanks for, for calling in with it. You know, one of the things, Sharon, that, that strikes me is this is something that that has practical limitations. And, and one of them is that there are some people, as you point out, who thrive off of misinformation and whose uh-huh. whose goal is to disrupt uh, disrupt uh-huh. uh, either the democratic process, uh, disrupt the the recognition of somebody else's rights through that misinformation. And so, like as Adrian points out, you know, how do you how do you remove enough of yourself, I guess, from uh, from the from the from the conversation to be able to even countenance somebody who is is saying something they know to be untrue. Uh, and, and because they have a motive uh, to, to to do so, that is how we got to January sixth, uh, uh-huh. for instance, uh, and it's how lots of other things have happened. So, so what's the? I guess what's the answer there? Mm. That's a great question, Adrian. So, one of the things you have to ask yourself first of all is the person you're talking to are they having a are they interested in having a good faith conversation with you? Some people really aren't. Some people are not interested in having a good faith conversation or a good faith discussion about the facts. Some people truly, their goal is to just disrupt and create viral moments on online. Um, and that might not be the best use of your time. Only you can decide what the best use of your time is. But if that is their goal, it might not be the best use of your time. What I like to say when somebody is, you know, uh, getting very heated, uh, a lot of misinformation at me, which often happens in my DMs, is I will just straight up ask them, are you interested in having a, a discussion, a, a, you know, a good faith discussion about the facts? And almost always they will tip their hand immediately. If they respond back with um, a bunch more, well, you always say X, Y, and Z, or this person, ABC, that's, that's a clear indication that they're not actually interested in that conversation, and you should apply your efforts somewhere else. But if somebody's like, yeah, I actually am, I'd like to hear what you have to say. One of the ways that you can remove your personal um, opinion and and talk only about, you know, fact-based information um, is to make sure, first of all, that you are not attacking the other person that you are having a conversation with. In order to, um, in order for somebody to be open to what you have to say, first, they have to feel as though there is a level of respect between you. Um, if somebody's screaming you on a street corner, there's no respect between the two of you, and they're not going to listen to your thoughtful points. They're only going to be listening to respond to scream back at you more. So they have to feel that there is in order. There's a level of respect between you, even if you don't respect their opinions, that you respect them as a human. This is not going to devolve into name calling. That's the first sort of guideline that I give people. And then the next one is instead of launching into an attack of every single one of their points, pick one thing that you want to talk about and say, ask them a question about it from the position of curiosity. 
so you can better understand their position, not so that you can come to agree with it, not so that you can uh, give legitimacy to their position, but so that you can understand who you're talking to mm-hmm. and why they believe what they believe. That is tremendously useful information. Misunderstanding somebody else's intentions and positions means that your arguments will be much less strong. So you have to, a, a, a common question I would like to ask somebody is, I would love to hear more about how you arrived right. at the why decision. Why do you think that? That's right. Yeah. Even saying why, though, sometimes why seems attacking. Sometimes when you say, well, why do you think that? Even if you say it's super friendly, um, the word why seems attacking to people. So I like to invite them to share with me how they arrived at that decision. Again, uh, Adrian, really, really great question. And uh, I, I really am glad that you called and uh, injected it into the conversation here. Let's go next to Robert in Detroit. Robert, welcome to the show. Hi. Um, you know, this is a interesting topic and it's, it's not really new and i think as a teacher it's great you know the way you're trying to reach out to people especially students because basically it's about education but um you know when we're looking at the big lie and we're saying all of the court cases that said that they're you know the election was fair and yet it's still going on we're still having january 6th hearings and there's still people that will never believe it we have I got to say it, we have a minority extremist conservative control of our country, and they've been installed by the Supreme Court a few times. And, you know, the Electoral College is a big part of the problem. Gerrymandering is a big part of the problem. But right now we have the Supreme Court considering whether or not they want to throw these decisions back to the state legislatures instead of the courts Mm -hmm. that, that ruled correctly. And that's a huge problem. So I'm my I, I want to hear your um, you know um, thoughts on this whole thing and people losing faith in the whole system, especially the court system. But basically, what I want to say is that my only hope is that the, the redistricting, um, you know, getting rid of gerrymandering, maybe getting rid of the electoral college, is our only salvation because democracy itself is at is at stake here, and. It's not like both sides are right. One side will not accept that there is a big lie, and there has been for four years. And before the four years, the whole campaign before that was based on lies that, oh, this is how the president says he's going to be, but he's not really going to be that way. And it's like, no, none of that was true. Uh, Robert, you're absolutely right about uh, the the structures of our government and what they are producing in terms of outcomes right now. Um, I'm glad you called and and mentioned that. Sharon, you were a a government teacher in in high school. You know this stuff uh, better than probably most of the people who uh, are listening to the program. Um, It does... It does seem like the minority provisions that were put into our laws and our Constitution uh, from the beginning, which were supposed to protect those minority interests from majoritarian rule, uh, are being exploited right now uh, to impose a minority rule that I think none of the founders uh, would recognize as as a preferred outcome of the system they designed. In other words, uh, they would be as shocked as anyone else to to know that uh, of the last uh, four um, uh, Republican presidents, uh, uh, you know, most have not won the popular vote. Right, uh, the Republican Party has lost the popular vote in in seven of the eight la- last presidential. Uh, elections, and yet you've had two presidents uh, serve uh, because of that. So, so is there something about that um, that that calls us to a different state of of alarm and 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 concern about the system? I mean, as a government teacher, what would you tell students about what's happening right now? Mm, that's a great question, Robert, and thank you so much. Democracy is absolutely in peril. There's no question about it. There's no question that democracy is in peril. And I mentioned earlier, I do not see the world through rose-colored glasses of we should all just get along and pretend everything is great. Um, But we cannot save democracy without understanding how the system works. In order to change anything, you have to understand how that thing functions. 
And right now, again, we're seeing the results of people who the results of people who who did not understand it and then whose understanding of it was exploited. And then what happens with when we're talking about things like the big lie, that it is very, very difficult to admit I was wrong. It's very difficult to admit that somebody lied to you, somebody that you really care about, that you really feel strongly attached to. It's difficult to admit that that person lied to you. And so we have to understand, first of all, not, I'm not excusing it. I'm not saying, like, we should just ignore it. We shouldn't. But you have to understand the psychology involved in somebody who has spent many years involved in the big lie. This is part of their identity. And so in order to move on, they have to be willing to sacrifice that portion of their identity. And that is a very difficult thing for some people to do, especially when they're not interested in, in um, sacrificing that part of their identity. They believe strongly this is the right and just place for me to be. So, so yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead and finish. I was just going to say that we have to, first of all, understand that, that we're asking some people to abandon their identity. And that is not an easy ask for some people. It's a big ask. Um, And we're not going to get there by uh, name calling, screaming at people, belittling their humanity. To some people, these beliefs are as deeply held as religious beliefs. And if you are a church-going person or you attend a synagogue and your or whatever your faith is, if your faith is deeply, deeply important to you, and I arrive on your doorstep and start screaming at you about how stupid your faith is and how could you believe such a lie, there's no God, blah, 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 we've, there's no evidence for it, you would not immediately abandon that position and be like, you know what, I've considered the facts and you're right. I'm abandoning my religious faith because you've convinced me. Mm. That is that. To some people who believe the big lie, that is how deeply held these beliefs are. Yeah, no and they are not going to abandon them because we scream at them about them. So, so but the, part, of the, part of the question here is whether we ought to change some of the systems, right? I mean, uh-huh. th- these yeah. people who believe the big lie, they are the minority. And right. in, in some cases... Uh, they're winning uh, in in a democracy where they should where they should lose. Should we, should we be thinking about uh, the way that the electoral college plays a role in that? Should we be thinking about the way that uh, the the design of the Senate plays a role in that, or the gerrymandering that happens in the House? I mean, should we be thinking about a, a wholesale reform of our democratic institutions? Mm. I absolutely think that many of our institutions are not functioning the way the founding fathers, the framers of the Constitution intended. And if that is the goal of Americans, some Americans don't have the goal of we should have a system that works as the framers intended. Some Americans are like, listen, they lived hundreds of years ago. Many of them were slave owners. Why should I care what they have to say? That's the position of many Americans, and I certainly understand understand that position. Other Americans feel like the system should work as the framers intended. They had a lot of wisdom. Um, They got us out of this sort of oppressive regime of being forced under this religious autocracy that was present in Europe. Um, But if that is your belief, it's your belief that we should have a country that functions as the framers intended. We do not have that right now. Mm. We do not have a system that functions as intended. Uh, There was no concept of partisan, uh, the extraordinary extent of partisan gerrymandering when the Constitution was written, when this country was founded. Certainly some gerrymandering has existed throughout all time, but never to the extent that it is now. And the reason we are able to gerrymander districts so incredibly well right now is because of technology. Right. That didn't exist even 50 years ago. Right. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. Technology makes it extremely efficient to gerrymander political districts. The framers had no concept of that, no concept of technology that would allow us to geolocate where a Democrat lives via their phone. So... I absolutely think we are in a position of needing to rethink how our system is functioning, because if we wanted to have the outcome, the outcome that it did in the past, it no longer 
does because of other advancements in the world. Yeah, um, right. We we absolutely must look at redesigning some of our systems, no yeah, question. Yeah. Okay, we need to take another quick break. When we come back, we'll continue to talk with Sharon McMahon and continue to hear from you on the phones and on social. Mike and McComb, John on the east side, Layla in Detroit, Cindy in the Cass Corridor. We'll get to you. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always... Thanks so much for tuning in. Our guest right now is Sharon McMahon, a former high school government teacher who runs the Sharon Says So Instagram account that attempts to educate Americans on misinformation and spread nonpartisan information online. Uh, We're talking about on Election Day, how we talk to each other a little better than we do on social media, how we hew a little closer to fact and truth than to lies and misinformation, something That has uh, been a real problem in the last four or five years, especially as one side of the political spectrum really has embraced the idea of lying and using those lies to uh, to get the outcomes that uh, that they want. As always, we want to hear from you on the phones and on social. 313-577-1019 is the number here. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, uh, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go next to Layla in Detroit. Layla, what's on your mind? Uh, yeah, hi. I really appreciate this conversation. Um, I just wanted to, um, uh, I don't know, raise a point, I guess, mm-hmm. about facts um, if this conversation is reminding me of the investigation that the Michigan um, legislature or committee engaged in after the 2020 election. And there were a couple of people that came in to um, basically witness uh, fraud that was or whatever uh, bad actors mm-hmm. during the election in, in Detroit. And what they were presenting was facts about what their observations were. Um, but the disagreement that ensued afterwards was the conclusions that one could draw from, from those, those facts. facts. Yeah. yeah. And so I wonder what your, uh, what your um, no, uh, have to say about that. Yeah. Because Great we, question. Uh, Layla, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you called and, and, and asked that. Sharon, how, how do you answer that? Thanks so much, Leila. So one of the things that we, that this is what we have to be able to have a conversation about, right? We have to be able to have a conversation about what kind of conclusions one can draw from facts. That is a legitimate conversation to have. Um, But what's, what's, what delegitimizes those important conversations is a disagreement about what facts are. Right. And that's what I'm hearing a lot of your guests saying too, is that like what we, nobody agrees on facts. We can draw different conclusions based on facts, but we cannot have our own facts. We can have our own opinions. We cannot have our own facts. So that is, that's where legitimate democratic discourse comes into play. Those are the real conversations that we need to be having is what kind of conclusions can we draw based on here's what we saw happen. Um, and then perhaps other people have more facts to add to that conversation, or perhaps somebody else is able to lend context to something else that perhaps we hadn't thought of before. But those kind of discussions cannot happen if we are not able to come to the table with a set of facts. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Layla, really appreciate the call. Uh, and the comments. Let's go next to John on the east side. John, I've only got uh, a minute and a half left, but go ahead. Well, you know, I, I, as I finish up reading 1619 Project, mm-hmm. I'm coming to the conclusions that the whole system was set up along the way to, for enslaving people and creating power. And I guess my question is, without blowing the system up and recreating the entire system. Even if we got 80% of the people out to vote, would that fix our politicians? Hmm. 
Hmm. Great question, John. And and uh-huh. uh, you know the, the the reference to the 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 roots of all of this in the in the country's founding, I think, are really important. And we're starting to to kind of reckon with some of that. But uh, Sharon, I've got about a minute left. Go go ahead and answer John's question. Mm, that's a fantastic question. Here is the very very fast answer. The vast majority of federal politicians in this country are elected in the primary level. Uh, so many districts are gerrymandered right now that you know that somebody of a certain party is going to win. Mm-hmm. And so in order to change the system, we must start caring deeply about primary elections. If we want better candidates, we have to care about primary elections. If we care about redistricting, we have to care about primary elections. Most of those primary elections are decided by fewer than 3,000 votes. In the majority of House districts in the United States, fewer than 3,000 people stand between the status quo and political change. And so it is not just about turnout on Election Day in November. It is caring about the system more deeply earlier than we are currently doing it right now. And the answer to your question is, if we had 80 percent voter turnout, would that create massive amounts of political change, especially the primary level, 1,000% it would, 1,000%. Right now, a tiny number of people voting in primary elections who tend to be more politically extreme than the mainstream are deciding who is in office. Yeah, they're deciding for everyone. Yeah, They're deciding for everyone. We have to start caring sooner and more. Okay. Uh, Sharon McMahon, it was really great to have you here to talk about this on Detroit Today, and congratulations on all the work on Sharon Says So. Thank you. It's going to do it for us today. I am headed to go vote. And if you have not yet, you should be too. Tomorrow, we are going to talk about uh, all of the results of the primary election. Uh, Really exciting outcomes in congressional and legislative races here in Southeast Michigan, as well as the Republican gubernatorial contest. This is 101.9 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.